Opportunity knocked, opportunity missed for Norwich City in the capital. A 2-2 draw against QPR means that Norwich City haven't lost any distance in their race for the playoffs, but there is a little bit of glass half full or half empty reflecting on this one. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast, brought to you uh, in association with Coleman's of Norwich. I'm Connor Southwell, joined by Paddy Dowett and Samuel Seaman to reflect on the action at Loftus Road on Saturday. Paddy, Ashley Barnes was robust in his... Uh, description of, of the performance, certainly the first half performance. David Wagner um, felt that there were positive elements and I think he described the intensity and the energy as top. Which side of the fence are you in terms of those arguments or do you find yourself somewhere sitting in, in between them both? Uh, well, I mean, in terms of the first half, I think that's where Ashley Barnes was very scathing, particularly on the first half. I agree entirely and disagree with if David Wagner felt that was I think he said it was an okay performance at the halftime messaging that don't get too frustrated lads you know you you want to drift but is okay an acceptable benchmark I don't think it is I think they were second best and um poor goal to concede didn't really offer too much going forward I think the telling stat was five shots on target at halftime none on sorry five shots on goal but none on target and uh, that's not good enough um I felt tactically playing Barnes pretty close up around Sargent. They just emptied the midfield and, you know, it was very obvious that there was no control there at all uh, and everything was being launched from deep because of the starting positions of Sarah and McLean. And uh, and you have a very good player at this level in Ilias Char, who was in those spaces making hay and uh, pulling the strings. Um, so, no, if, if, we, if we're narrowing it down to was that first half a good or an okay performance, I'd say no. Um, but clearly in the second half, uh, they, they, were, they were doing, had done enough to get themselves in front. And then and we'll get into this in, in more detail of uh, effectively game managed themselves out of that three-pointer. And uh, we now sit here today reflecting on two absolutely massive dropped points. And who knows what that will, ramifications of that when the final the dust has settled and we're looking back at the league table this season. If they're two points shy, then this is the game, I'm afraid. And, um, you know, we'll get into it in, in more depth. But, uh, yeah, I, I agree with Ashley Barnes's assessment of the first half, but by the same token, you know, they did show a lot of resilience again and character and scored an excellent second goal, particularly team goal and a tremendous piece of athleticism from Josh Sargent. So elements of the performance which you would, would be happy with, um, but they haven't managed that game the way they needed to. And the faces at the end of those Norwich players as they trooped off down the tunnel said it all. That They felt that was a game that went begging. Yeah, it, it, and, and that is is the best way to sum it up, isn't it, Sam? Uh, after, you know, what's been a, a really positive month for, for Norwich City, they've done a lot of work to claw themselves back into contention of, of playoff contention. And they are still there, it's worth adding. And, uh, you know, if, I think if you'd have probably swapped the two results around and if they'd have drawn with Coventry and beat QPR, everyone would maybe be looking at the last week in a, in a slightly different lens. Um, and actually, I think it's one of those results again, which will probably get defined by what they do in the next two games at home. But it's, it is hard to get away from that feeling of opportunity miss, particularly when they've kind of done the hard bit. They've gone from behind, two in front, and definitely had the momentum at that point. We're going to talk about the substitutions in a moment, so don't delve into too much of that. But that sense of opportunity missed, I mean, it felt like that in the away end, in the press box, in the, in the home dugout. I think it was everywhere around Loftus Road yesterday, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone connected to Norwich City knew how it would feel if they didn't manage to get a win going into it. And that's exactly how it does feel, as you said. 
they've clawed themselves into playoff contention with results where nobody really expected them to to get them. But this was a real opportunity to to capitalise on that. And although they're still in the mix, they could have been right towards the top end of that. And with the momentum that they're building at the moment, put themselves in a, a really, really good position to go on and actually qualify for the playoffs at the end of the season. So it, it feels, I think, as everyone felt it, it might, if they didn't manage to capitalise on those recent results and get the, the three points. And although the first half was pretty terrible, as Paddy says, as Ashley Barnes said post-match, um, I thought second half, the performance up until they scored that second goal was actually pretty good. They built, built the ball up very well. They imposed themselves on the game, as I think all Norwich fans were hoping they would from minute one. They, they failed to do that in the first half, but then did that really well for half an hour or so in the second. And um, yeah, it's just, it's a game lost with, to be honest, negative attitude, poor substitutions and poor game management, I think, overall. And as you said, we'll We'll delve into that, so I won't go too much into the specifics. But I think Norwich fans have the right to be very frustrated indeed by some of the decisions that were made because they were completely perplexing. And I think that's what's lost Norwich two very, very valuable points on a day when the teams around them and in the playoff race had actually dropped points and were in difficult positions at various points throughout the the afternoon. So yeah, definitely the feeling of an opportunity missed, but one that I think. We all knew it was coming if Norwich didn't capitalise on on this fixture and manage to get get a win out of it. Yeah, and, and and Sam's right, isn't he, Paddy? In terms of you, you look at the day that Saturday was, and we're obviously recording this before Coventry play Millwall, but there's a possibility that that Coventry uh, leapfrog them, and I think that they'd end up in the back back inside the top six if they if they do beat Millwall this afternoon. That sense that you know Hull lost, and 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 there are a few teams around them who who lost ground a little bit. And actually, you look at the league table; there's a real opportunity to to move away a little bit from the pack. I mean, if they'd have seen out a, a win yesterday, they'd have had two more points. That would have put them, for example, two points. Uh, clear of Hull, it would have put them uh, free clear of, of of Coventry. It would have put them, um, it would have put them what six points clear of, of of Watford. I mean that that was the the prize at stake for for Norwich City. Just didn't quite materialise. And again, even though they haven't lost ground in terms of the, the the top six race, they have maybe offered those teams around them in that kind of pack just below the pack that are just below the playoffs um, a, an opportunity and, and maybe a sniff of blood that they didn't necessarily need to give given the game state, which I think is probably why where that feeling of disappointment comes from with this this particular game. Yeah, although to a degree, I'm loath to get too swept up in that because it'll be that now from here to the end of the season. There'll be 15 match weekends, midweeks, where it'll be, oh, if only, you know, we'd have done our business because look at the how the cards have fallen and that Norwich will fall the right side of that. And, and if they can sustain this, they'll fall the wrong side. And they certainly have this weekend. Um, so that just magnifies what they didn't do themselves. But I think there's enough games left so far that at this stage that the, the, the mantra from Wagner, which he repeated again Saturday after the game, you don't get too high. They didn't get he didn't get too high last weekend when they've they've seen Coventry off and really sent a signal to all those playoff rivals um, that they're here and they're they're motoring and uh, so we can't probably tip too far the other way while acknowledging that they have let a result in terms of a three points slip through their fingers, but of course. You know, they do have another opportunity now very swiftly on Tuesday night, Cairo, Watford, another team in that pack to do what they did against West Brom, to do what they did against Hull, to do what they did against Coventry. Um, and that's really against a direct rival. And of course, it's those direct matchups where it's you're taking the points and you're denying them the points as well. So 
yeah, I'm not overly too bothered, if I'm honest, at this stage about the the championship uh, roadmap and, and what it could have meant because it could all change around again midweek and it could all change around at the weekend. They've got two huge home games now and to take David's thread after the game yesterday, you know, what happened at Loftus Road will look like a good point if they follow it up with a win over Watford. And I think they've got Cardiff, haven't they? So that is the challenge now. And if we're recording as we will be post-match Saturday night after Cardiff and it's seven points from nine, then I'm pretty sure they'll be in a healthy situation in terms of that league table. Yeah, agreed. And that why is why I think, Sam, it's 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 important not to, you know, stray too far into the the, the negativity. As Paddy said, there, there does need to be um, a, a real sort of middle ground, I think. And, and we've had it a lot this season. There's been a lot from everybody. And I'm not pointing the finger at anybody because that's just been what this season is like. It's a weird season and, and, and they're a weird group, to be honest, of players capable of producing very weird things. And we've we've seen that documented over, over the last sort of four months or so. Um, and actually, you know, it's it's not it's not the end of the world. It's not it's not the best point. It's not probably not the worst point. Um, but I think, like as we said, the the feeling that probably overhangs all of it is that sense of opportunity missed, which you know obviously they can alleviate with a, a win in midweek. So it, it maybe doesn't feel too bad in that sense. Just to to reflect on on the game and itself that happened that first half, we've kind of touched upon it. What what did you feel was was so lacklustre from Norwich City's perspective? There was a failure of a, a shot on target. What was it that they weren't doing in, in in that first half that perhaps they have been doing in weeks gone by? I think it was that lack of proactivity, the fact that they were sat behind the ball for long periods against a team that yes likes to dominate possession and likes to control games, but this is also a side with one of the worst, maybe the worst. I can't remember, but one of the worst home records in the Championship. Um, 22nd in the league, obviously. This isn't a team that, whether they they want to dominate possession or not, this isn't a team that a playoff competitor should be surrendering to and allowing to control the game for long periods. And I also felt with the team selection that that wasn't necessarily a team geared to counter-attacking very well. I know they like the long ball to Ashley Barnes, but he doesn't have much pace to get in behind. Christian Fasnacht was, was on the right, and I know there might have been some direction maybe from you know the fitness team about Jonathan Rowe and how many minutes he was available for but if you are going to sit behind the ball and maybe concede a little bit of the initiative to QPR why don't you have Ono Hernandez on that on that right with a little bit more pace with a little bit more directness and drive to go and do that but yeah I think a lot of it just comes from the fact that Norwich weren't able to actually camp themselves in the QPR half control the game as they did against Coventry who are a much better team than than QPR are and have dominated possession in a lot of their games this season. So, yeah, I think overall there was uh, just a, a weakness in performance as well as the the tactical issues. And if you break it down into the individuals during the first half that, that were really, really poor, Gabriel Sarah for me turned it around a little bit in the, the second half. But I think there's this increasing feeling among the fan base that he's getting away with it at the moment. He's misplacing passes. A lot of the time, he doesn't really seem to be as intense and as alert maybe as he was early in the season. And uh, you suggested when we were on the way the way back yesterday that it might be to do with the, the amount of games that he's played this season. And I'd, I'd probably concur, to be honest. He started every single championship match. And although he has got that technical quality, it feels like he's now been elevated to an undroppable position. And I'm not sure that's quite what he's earned in the last few weeks. I know he's still contributing some moments in terms of you know free kicks corners that are 
that are getting Norwich opportunities from set pieces, but overall his general play hasn't really been good enough. And if you're watching that first half for somebody like Marcelino Nunez, who's been having probably his best period in a Norwich shirt over the last couple of months, you're probably really frustrated as to how you can't can't get into the team ahead of this seemingly undroppable player. But I don't think he was the only one that wasn't really at it. Ben Gibson um, and Grant Hanley, Hanley both really struggled to deal with Sinclair Armstrong up front for, for QPR. Um, and yeah, just, just overall, there was a, a real lacklustre feel about a lot of the individual performances. So a lot of areas for me went wrong, actually, in the, in the first half. And uh, yeah, I think it was much closer to Ashley Barnes' assessment of it than David Wagner's. I was uh, I was quite bullish at halftime, Pat. I think I turned to you and said I I think Norwich will win this game, and uh, just because I uh, mainly because I felt they couldn't be as bad as they were in the first half in in the second, and you always got the sense that there was going to be a response, and they managed to do that within within two minutes. But but actually, both of their goals were, as you spoke about earlier, were, were pretty well worked. We are seeing, I think, some pretty innovative set piece routines, and, and and a lot of them are yielding fruit in terms of not always necessarily goals, but certainly Norwich City having first contacts and, and and getting efforts on goal. Um, it'd be nice to see a little bit more in terms of their direct free kicks in certain positions, given the, the quality they have in, in those areas. But Kenny McLean turning that home. But then as we touched upon, after that happened and, and, and Norwich then scores, as you described it, an unbelievably quick and, and almost their, their, their game seemed to move a beat quicker, I think, after... The, the first goal and we saw that Jonathan Rowe was introduced he he plays a brilliant ball to Jack Stacey it's a brilliant cross and then Josh Sargent I mean he's he's leapt like a salmon hasn't he or insert sea animal here um he is uh he, he's on quite a run and we'll come back onto onto him later but the momentum was was with Norrie City then so I guess this is where the the debate then opens up to the changes is it fair to say that at 2-1 David Wagner took the decision to try and see that out Rather than go for a third goal, and was that the right or, or well, maybe the maybe hindsight says it, it was the wrong result. But is it as black and white as that? Uh, well, there was. Two, I mean, we need to be very clear. There was two, almost two waves of substitutions. I've got them in front of me. So, you know, they've gone two one in front. Sergeant's goal was sixty two minutes in, and he's made. Well, Sergeant himself has come off, and we'll we'll get into that. Nunez comes on, and at the same time, Jack Stacey comes off, and we'll get into that as well. You know, there was reasons of uh, physical sort of performance uh, related to their lack of, well, in in Sergeant's case, not trained until Friday was David's revelation after the game, um, and we know he's managing his minutes very carefully because he had that two three months out uh, with the ankle issue, so. And Stacey, conversely, Team Hotel Friday night reported he was feeling unwell, was throwing up, couldn't eat anything, keep anything down. He was better Saturday morning, but but very much underpinning those two changes, irrespective of the game state at that point, which was to reiterate 2-1 Norwich, was maybe, well, these guys aren't going to be able to go to the well in the final quarter. So personally, I have no issue with those changes at all. Row on for Fashion Act, absolutely. That was 10 minutes earlier. Um, but it's what unfolded from there for me uh, that is really unfathomable. You know, when QPR equalised 77 minutes, he played seven minutes of added on time. So even at that point, you've got 20 minutes left in that game at 2-2. You have to go and be proactive and make changes that will affect it and add a goal threat. Um, and he's brought on Hernandez and he's brought on McCallum for your new list and science. And as we discussed prior to recording, um, when I asked him, why no Van Hoydonk? 
uh, a guy who's one in two at that stage of the game. A guy who's one in two in his career. With the greatest respect to Ashley Barnes, he scored three league goals this season and he's seen to be a better goal threat in that 20-minute segment when you're 2-2, you've been pegged back, you need to go again, the broader playoff context we've already discussed. Um, and he goes he goes Hernandez and he goes McCallum. And his answer, and it's go and, go and listen to the clip, not trying to, well, I am trying to push people to our content, but go to the YouTube channel, watch David Wagner's post-match interview with us three minutes in and the answer starts with oh, we needed to finish the game 11 v 11 and Borja was on a yellow card, Borja Science. Borja Science was not on a yellow card. I've not seen any reports from any outlets that confirms or denies that he was on a yellow, well, confirms that he was on a yellow card. He wasn't on a yellow card. There was four bookings for Norwich. Borja Science wasn't one of them. There's no, there's no, he could have got himself yellow card and we needed to know it was Borja was on a yellow card. So somebody in and around uh, has dropped the ball there on the Norwich bench. That's baffling. If they, if they thought Borja Science was on a yellow and, right, we need to stay 11 v 11 here because if we go 10 v 11, you clearly hand QPR the advantage. So that was the reasoning for getting on Elon, who, who, who direct replacement for Borja Science. So for me, you've burnt a substitution um, that could have been Van Hoyerdonk because you, you felt you had a player who was already on a yellow and we know the situation that unfolded at, Q, at West Brom on Boxing Day and Maybe that was in, in his thoughts, it, but he was labouring under a misapprehension. Borja Science was not on a yellow card. Um, and I, as I say, so for me, that's inexcusable. That's unforgivable. This is the championships, not the dog and duck. Norwich have enough staff on that bench. They're in close proximity to the officials. Um, and as I say, the clip is is very clear. I don't think there's any lost in translation. I think they, David Wagner and his coaches, staff thought Borja Science was on a yellow card. So... But even even allowing for that, you still have another substitution. There was no report that Yanulis was injured or was struggling. So, so why Yanulis for McCallum? I don't see what that offers. What you need surely is a presence in the box and then service into that box. And and yes, we know Van Hooydonk is coming to Norwich, having struggled in Serie A. But with the greatest respect, he's had six months playing Serie A defenders. I think he can handle the Championship defenders, and that's no disrespect to QPR. Um, and if you go further back, he is a one in two. He's a prolific scorer of goals. It's also, I don't understand the logic because he had a full week to train. You know, it wasn't that it was like the Coventry situation where he, he was essentially parachuted in back end of that week and was given a little taste of it off the bench against, against Coventry. Another full week's training. He talked on his pre-match, David, about how he was working heavily, intensively with Christoph Bueller and Narcis Pelac in terms of the video analysis so he could understand what Norwich's team is trying to do with and without the ball. Um, and there's in, it, in that game situation, 2-2, 20 minutes left, you've got a proven striker who you've just brought in with a very good pedigree, uh, and you persist with Ashley Barnes, and uh, you make two changes that one of them would appear to have been under false pretenses. So, you know, all in all, you pull the strands together, it's... Uh, Really, not a good look for me for David Wagner and his, and his coaching staff. And um, you know, unless unless there is some uh, you know reason for that, um, it's based built on flawed um, processes and reasoning. So, you know, it may not have made a huge difference, but uh, but certainly it, it, it did deny him the opportunity. But you know, he did go on in that rest of that answer to say that obviously referenced the Sergeant situation and the McCallum uh, the Stacey situation. 
but he did feel that Barnsley was doing very well at holding the ball up and uh, was a was a goal scoring threat. And of course, he did have a chance. Seventy nine minutes, great ball from Kenny McLean took took it down. For me, that the hard part there brought the ball under control in his chest, but Begovic has come out very sharply and he just couldn't squeeze it past him. Who knows if that's Van Hoydonk? Does that go in the back of the net? Is that two three and is that three points and is that? more wind in the sails, you know, from from small situations like that, who knows the consequences. So, uh, absolutely baffling, really, really baffling. And, uh, you know, it's it's not acceptable, really, for me. Two strands to pick up from that. I mean, as, as you said, first and foremost, how on earth do you get to a position where you think a player's been booked and he hasn't been? I mean, the, the only, and I'm, I'm kind of hoping this, the only sort of thing that I hope has happened is that maybe they've been given wrong information from the fourth official about a player that's that's been booked. That's the only way in my head that I can comprehend that this could possibly have happened because, I mean, I certainly, until until you've just said that there, I I didn't, I hadn't thought that Borja Science had been booked. I don't know about you, gents. I don't know if at any point you felt that Borja Science had had, uh, had been booked. So I'm not sure where that's where that's come from, really. It's kind of a reverse Graham poll, isn't it? How, how, how on earth they've worked out in, into a situation where, where that has happened. And, and secondly, it's, it's all about risk, isn't it, as well? Because even if he is on a yellow card, you've got a player there that won you a very important game last week for a moment of individual quality. Yes, John Rose on the pitch, and he's capable of that as well. But you, you know kind of the situation where he's maybe not at full fitness and uh, and at the peak of his power and we'll come on to him again in a moment surely and and this is where it comes into it Sam surely this is where this becomes about mindset and approach and this comes back to maybe what we were talking about in terms of uber caution almost negativity in, in that mindset in terms of um proactivity in terms of going to win a game because what he could have done let, let's say uh instead of Sam McCallum Coming on, he could have dropped Kenny McLean into a back three. He could have put on El Hernandez as a wing back if he if he felt that was necessary. That then gives you kind of a, a get out with the right back situation, I, I think, to an extent. It would then allow you to put Van Hoydonk up there with Barnes, which again, they, they did last week. They dropped Barnes alongside um, uh, Sargent and that yielded results for them in terms of winning that game. Um, feels again almost like a protection it was it was almost defense first caution first try and get over the line first rather than actually you know and, and the game as we said the momentum was with them the game was with them they could have gone and killed that game off with a third and then he could have made the changes that he wanted to make in terms of pulling players off ahead of midweek yeah i think even if you're you're not necessarily confident that you're going to score a third goal just take away some of the time that QPR have to probe for an equaliser by trying to still have a bit more of the ball, try and spend more time attacking the opposition goal. You know, it was, I think, seven minutes after after that, that sergeant goal that he started to make those substitutions and that they started to turn quite negative and you felt like there was almost too much of an acceptance that, OK, now they're going to sit in and, and defend. I understand it if there's five minutes left and you want to maybe slow things down by making some substitutions you want to get a little bit stronger at the back but to with the amount of injury time that's now being added to games to admit that you're basically trying to hold on for for 20 minutes plus is is pretty baffling I think when you actually consider the amount of pressure that it puts on the players the tactical scenario that it puts you in and very quickly Norwich were, were left exposed by that so yeah, I didn't really understand that. I also think the Ashley Barnes element, he may have felt that he was holding the ball up well when Josh Sargent was was in and around him and he might have felt that he was effective. But there's not really any evidence this season that Barnes 
works effectively up front on his own. Um, you know, I've, I've praised him since Sargent came back and talked about how how good he's been and how how much the American has brought his level up. But without Sargent, I'm not sure he's put in any real impressive performances in a yellow and green shirt. So why did he think that was going to work when Sargent was off the pitch, as opposed to having the opportunity, as as Paddy outlined, to to bring Van Hooydonk on, who has an unbelievable goal scoring record, who isn't exactly you know, Tamer Pookie himself in terms of stature and and his ability to take in sort of long balls and play that role. I don't really see, obviously they've made the, the error with the yellow card, but especially given one of the changes was a, a left-back for a left-back, I don't really see what you would lose by throwing Van Hooydonk on because, as I said, there's no evidence that, that Barnes is effective up front on his own for Norwich. So, um, yeah, I had a few issues with those substitutions and I think that was the thing that, Norwich fans were left ruining afterwards. Um, I spoke to a, a few of the, the fans outside the ground and there was sort of a mixed reception to the result. Different people thought different things about how good QPR were, but the one thing they were unified on was the quality of the substitutions and nobody was really happy with it. And as much as I know David Wagner is a head coach and obviously has more experience in that role than any of us do, when people are, are united in their disagreement with the changes, I think... That probably tells you everything you need to know. So, yeah, I thought they were too negative too early on. And when you consider the personnel that they used to make those changes, I think it's uh, yeah, it's it's a little bit unfathomable, to be honest. It's it's, it's just bizarre, isn't it? Because you, you have a momentum in a game. You've just scored a second goal. You, you, you've just shown, uh, I think, for the first time in the contest that you're capable of slipping um, into a higher gear and producing some really good football and carving a team open. And then you, you you go and make some some substitutions that have essentially cost your team the game. Um, and and again for balance last week last weekend he made some substitutions that impacted the game positively and gained Norwich City two points. This weekend uh, he's made some and it and it and it's dropped them two points. And that is I guess the the life of a head coach, isn't it? And and, and that shows that the the power of the decisions that that, that you do make. And, and and again, Paddy, to be fair to David Wagner, last weekend he. He brought on Onel Hernandez. He brought on Sam McCallum for Dimi Yanoulis. So very similar changes to the ones that he made last weekend. I guess the the, the point is, and again, it's it's not even a criticism necessarily of bringing Sargent off because you hear the reasoning and that's understandable. He's trained t- twice this week. They've got a free game week. He's just come back from a long injury. You're always going to have to protect him. Jack Stacey likewise, although I think you know we could have a debate about why you then uh, bring Kellen Fisher to a team hotel in a taxi and um, get him basically ready and then don't include him in a match day squad knowing that you've had a player who's been unwell overnight that that again feels a little bit weird to me um but but there we go um but it, it, it is for me and, and I, I accept all of that it's it's the caution that I think is frustrating because that is a game again that Norwich City should have and, and could have gone and killed off before ultimately they can they can see the equaliser and it's, it's worth adding as well that that QPR did get that equaliser before that double change came to in, into effect so at the point that he brought on McCallum and Hernandez they were chasing a winner effectively at that point I don't understand why you don't throw Van Hoydonk on. And, and what must he think as well? A player who's just come into a club and is watching this game unfold in, in the way that it, it is, waiting almost for that opportunity with a game situation where you're hoping Norwich is going to put lots of pressure and get loads of opportunities and crosses into the box. He's a penalty box player. Kind of felt set up for him, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, that is right. David Wagner last week against Coventry affected it in a positive way. But you miss one. He, he threw on a striker last weekend, Ashley Barnes, and Ashley yep. Barnes was yep. pivotal to both the goals. So he threw on a, a forward player. In a two as well. In a exactly. two. As well as McCallum, as well as Hernandez. So 
I, I just I just cannot, I, you know, and we, you know, we do occasionally be accused of uh, we we may be a bit too harsh on David Wagner by one or two individuals. Every week, <laughs> yeah, uh, in that, that lovely space that is X nowadays. But uh, somebody, uh, anybody, answers on a postcard. Tell me what was the what was the logical reason for, for Van Hooydonk's remaining on the bench when the game's in that state, um, when the season's in that state. If you want to zoom out a touch, I just ca- I just cannot see the logic at all um, because he had the slots. It wasn't like he'd made. All the changes, you know, the Johnny Rowe, which we'll come into in due course. That that situation had happened a lot earlier, and that, like, right, we've got injured players, we've got to get these lads off, we've got to get the ones on, you know, buffeted by events. Essentially, no, he had cards to play, and uh, and he opted for Onel Hernandez and Sam McCallum at two-two. When you've got, uh, as I say, for the risk of repeating ourselves, a, a forward who's come in with a, a very good reputation, a Serie R forward, and he's not worthy of being thrown in at Loftus Road when it's 2 How is, how is he, you, you know, I know there's a lot of talk about getting him up to speed. How on earth is he going to get up to speed if he's not put on the pitch? This yeah. is, this is you know, really difficult for me to, to comprehend. Um, yes, of course, there's a training element to that, but also he needs to experience and feel the championship as well, doesn't he? And if, if he's not going to be thrown on in, in that type of situations, you do wonder what sort of situations he is going to be thrown into. I mean... The caution point, the conservative point, it's a charge that's been levelled at, at Wagner. And, you know, does he does he really feel subconsciously that at that point the risk is too heavy and to the reward? And so we'll we'll just we'll just have what we hold. Um but that but that if, if that is the mindset, then that, that isn't going to get the job done. From where Norwich are now, they're trying to make up ground. They're trying to be well, the to take risks. Hunter. They have to take risks. It's the only way they're going to basically make up for the, the the mess that was, you know, that prolonged spell sort of prior to the festive period. Um, for reasons that I'm sure that they would they would reaffirm again in terms of injured players. And we we take those on board. You know, Josh Sargent is fit. They don't lose seven games in nine. That's obvious. But um but in this state of the season now, they they have to, when presented with that situation at Loftus Road in the final 10-15 minutes, you have to you have to go proactive. And okay, if if by throwing on Van Hoy Donk and, and the cavalry charge, you leave yourself open and you get done, he's gonna get it. He's gonna get it. But what if it's gone the other way and Van Hoyadonk completes the picture book ending and they win the game and those three thousand fans at that end of the ground? Deliriously happy going home um, on their long train journeys in many cases, um, but uh, that's a different story. But can you imagine the momentum injection going into that Watford game, Cairo Tuesday night, would be absolutely crackling. And now it's well, they need to they need to they need to put in a result and a performance uh, to, to make up for lost ground. That's the feeling, rightly or wrongly, but that is the feeling now around the events at Loftus Road. Um, and they, they don't need to be having to deal with that. What they need is bottling what we felt at final whistle. Well, maybe not me being a Coventry fan, but last Saturday at Carrow Road, what those Norwich fans and those Norwich players and coaching staff, as they took the applause rightly and the acclaim, that's that's the fuel that will power them into the top six between now and the end of the season. And, uh, you know, if, if you have to roll the dice in certain situations, then roll it because the rewards for me are far bigger than, um, you know, because at the moment they're outside the top six, and if they finish outside the top six, so be it. But to get to where they need to go to, because you can be sure the Coventrys and Mark Robbins and the Sunderlands, Hall, Rosinia, those coaches will be rolling the dice between now and the end of the season because they need to wait. 
weigh up the same risk and reward. And um, it's not going to get the job done. Throwing on McCallum and Hernandez at 2-2 when you've got a striker on the bench with a proven track record, it's not going to get the job done. And and if, if, if he's presented with that scenario again, maybe this, this coming Tuesday night, maybe Cardiff at the weekend, then you would hope um, we see we see Sydney rather than Sam. Yes, indeed. And and just just final point uh, on this, Sam, and then we'll, we'll move on to, to something else. Um, the, the goal that Norwich City did concede for the, for the second one, I mean, for as much as we're kind of talking about substitutions here and decisions that David Wagner and his coaching team made, I mean, those are two real lapses in concentration from Dimi Yanoulis and then a host of others. Uh, and, and it's not as if Dimi Yanoulis wasn't given a, a spate of warnings before the, the actual event happened where he's overran the ball for a throw, gets taken quickly, there's not enough pressure on the ball. And then uh, Fry, who I think moved more in, in, in his movement to get to the ball from that cross than he did in his entire cameo, uh, with, a, with a brilliant... And he was very effective, by the way. It's not a criticism. Um, but it, it was a, it was an excellent finish. But again, as, as, as uh, Ashley Barnes presented, it, it felt very amateurish that that whole episode really from Dimi Yanoulis involvement to, to the cross as well and I guess that's where where David Wagner would look at it and say well look if, if that doesn't happen then we do win the game so there's an element as well of the, the players needing to take their share of responsibility for those two points that were dropped on Saturday. Yeah as I said I think there were individual performances that weren't up to scratch either but uh, yeah both of the goals really were were an absolute mess the whole situation um on on the left for obviously Unilis overrunning it to to concede the throw and then not being switched on enough to realise that they take him quickly and that you probably need to defend the ball coming into the box. Then with the first goal, I mean he also comes across the Norwich defence and manages to get get there ahead of them, which was poor on the centre back's part. I think it was Grant Handley that he actually got across uh, in the end to to score that goal. And on the first one as well, far too much time to to get the cross in and. That's why it ends up taking a deflection and, and looping towards Angus Gunn, who can only push it as far as Jack Colback, who, again, is the first person to react. There's not really anyone close enough to him to to even consider stopping him having that shot. So I think both goals were, as you said, amateurish, really. And, um, yeah, that, that probably is what leaves the, the sour taste in the mouth. I thought Elias Chair had some really exciting moments from a QPR perspective and, and very nearly delivered. And if he, he cuts in and whips one into the far corner, as frustrating as that would be, you sort of have to accept it and say that, OK, he's a, he's a very good player. But the fact that they've managed to survive some of those situations and and still concede two goals in, in quite avoidable ways is almost similar frustration to the broader sense that they put themselves in a very good position to, to get a valuable three points in the playoff race. With this one, yes, they, they could have conceded for more individual brilliance from the hosts, but they didn't. And that gave them an opportunity, which again, they, they didn't take. So I think that just adds to the feeling that they could have avoided this situation and that they could have made the most of a trip to, to the side that's 22nd in the league and, and battling relegation. Yeah, it's just it just probably adds to that frustration of that fan base. And as I said, you know, when I spoke to him, that was another point of frustration, the way that the goals were conceded. And and like you say, Wagner probably has a lot of responsibility to take for this one, but there's also a lot on on that back line and some of the individual performances that allowed QPR to exploit that weakness and, and get two goals from positions where Norwich shouldn't really be conceding at all. 
Yep, agreed. Uh, and you know, ultimately, as as we said, you you got two points for for them with these substitutions last week, and 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 you're up to this week. That's that's the nature of being a head coach, particularly in this league, isn't it? One one thing I, I did want to bring up, Paddy, because I think this has gone certainly from from my perspective a, a little bit under the radar, and it wasn't until actually Marty Cifentes mentioned it on Friday, whenever he did his, his pre-match press conference about Norwich's away form. This this won't really work for for audio listeners, but I'll, I'll speak you through it. I, I mean, what I've flashed up here, and hopefully you can kind of see that, this is the championship table based on away form uh, this season. So basically how a team has performed away from home. Um, Norwich sit 16th in, in that table. They, they've, uh, and I'll, I'll just read you their their, their record. So they, they've played 16 on the road, won four, drawn four, lost eight, scored 27, conceded 32. That's a, a minus five goal difference, 16 points they've taken on the road. And actually, you contrast that with the championship home table. They, they sit seventh in that, um, having taken 29 of their of their 45 points um, this season. And even more than that, um, I, I mean, I just wanted to, to register this as well, because QPR is an example. You look at those teams who sit bottom of their home tables. So they are, when they are at home, so Norwich are, are, are going to these teams away. QPR sit bottom, so they've got the worst home record in the championship, which is, uh, you know, maybe flies in the face of, of maybe some of the comments yesterday about how it was a, a good point or, or whatever it was. Um, Rotherham, Stoke, Millwall and Swansea make up the, the bottom five. Norwich obviously yet to travel to Stoke, um, but from those, kind of, so from four of the bottom five in, in the home table, Norwich have taken just one point, um, which was yesterday's against QPR. For, for, for balance, they've they've taken um, two points against the top five with, with draws against Southampton and Leicester. But the, the point I wanted to raise, Paddy, is is, is their away form. Is, is that becoming problematic now? Because we're, we're talking about a team pushing for the, for the top six. To be 16th in the in the away table doesn't really feel conducive to a one four games on the road all season doesn't really feel conducive to a team that can finish in, in the top six. I mean, this is this is something that they need to address and, and, and pretty swiftly, isn't it? Yes, but it was interesting when you push that uh, graphic up. If, if you look at it again, West Brom are, are, are in the same space, Coventry, Sunderland and Preston, who are all the teams they're fighting out with. So is there a broader issue there about the difficulties of going away from home? And it's certainly not just Norwich, is it? If you look at that in terms of the, the points that have been amassed from the teams in and around Norwich in this playoff fight. Um, but yes, of course, because, you know, it goes back to the point about the need to make up ground. And um, and to be fair, you know, this just this year alone, you know, they went to Hull and uh, were second best for most of that game, but but dug in and showed that resilience. We've seen that resilience to come back into games at Carrow Road, Coventry most recently. Um, so I don't think it's, it's a question about, character or um sticking together um but you know that clearly isn't something that fills you with a huge amount of confidence in terms of between now and the away remaining away games that that that, that record would show that they're finding it much tougher away from home than they are at car road but again you know the fact that other teams in the same playoff mix are in the same space in that away table and maybe that's maybe that's more representative of the championship as a, as a whole really but uh you know it comes down to effectively um you know david wagner now uh, off the back of the previous segment has attacking options that for me um said it to ben napper after and i'm sure we'll get into this the, the chat we had with him earlier in the week at colney um once the with the formal business had, had ended i said to him to be honest now if you've got van Hooydonk, 
You've got Sergeant, you've got Science, you've got Johnny Rowe. Gabby Zara in a more progressive role for me. Um, leads aside, I think that's as good as any in the championship in terms of the attacking arsenal you can you can deploy. But it's now for David Wagner to uh, meld those individual constituent parts into you know something that is residually effective away from home. But, because there's no doubt there is goals in this side, and whether it's home or whether it's away from home, um, Norwich shouldn't lack goals. Um, you might argue defensively that there's there's bigger issues to address there in terms of the personnel and uh, you know the robustness and of course no Shane Duffy now for the foreseeable um but certainly going forward if it was woven within a, in a template which is front foot we're going to pin you back we're going to be the aggressors um I don't think there's any reason why Norwich can't improve that away form in what remains of the, the running yeah and it's, it's it's interesting isn't it how uh, you know and David Wagner to be fair spoke a little bit about this on Friday how teams can be so different at home and away I mean you, you look at the table at the moment Norwich are essentially a a top 7 team uh, in in the division at home and then they become what a bottom seven team, slightly more than that, a bottom 10 team, bottom nine team uh, away from home. I mean, that's that's such a bizarre swing based on w- the pitch that you're playing in, the surroundings that you're playing in. It's um, it is so bizarre as to why football is 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 documented in in, in that sense. Sam, one thing we, we haven't touched upon so far is uh, is John Rowe, who obviously you know he's, he's missed a couple of weeks with with his broken hand. He missed uh, their, their trip to Liverpool and and obviously the, the the home win against Coventry last week. We we saw him. I, I still sort of felt that he didn't quite look right, wasn't moving right. There was a moment where Onel Hernandez cut the ball back to him and he kind of just kind of got it completely wrong, which is not something that we've really seen this season. Um, and then obviously in, in the dying moments of stoppage time, he goes down in the penalty box, immediately signals that he can't carry on. That looks like a hamstring injury. I mean, this is, we're obviously await to, to hear the news of that, but that would obviously be any sort of extended period of time out for him would be a real blow for Norwich City at this stage of the season, given everything that we've spoken about, given how much of a reliance there's been on individual quality this season. Yeah, overall, one of the, the more disappointing afternoons I think he's had this season, if not the the worst. Um, I think there was one good moment just before the second goal where he, he sort of took took the ball from Gabi Sara, turned pretty well and then laid it off to Stacey. But compared with the brilliance that he's produced at, at times this season, it wasn't a performance that that would have gone, you know, gone down in in sort of maybe even the top fifteen or twenty, uh, to be honest. So I know there were a lot of fans that were excited to see him, but he did feel like he lacked that sort of match fitness, that memory, maybe of what it's like to be involved in those scenarios, and it felt like he needed a little bit of time to to get back used to it. But based on maybe not how consistently he's performed well this season, but how consistently he's produced those individual moments and scored goals and and got assists. I think you could you could probably count on the fact that within a couple of games he would have been back to his best for Norwich and probably producing match winning moments and then he goes down in the box and and that felt like it could have been absolutely disastrous. Obviously the next sort of few weeks and the how they unfold and how the playoff race sort of ends up looking at the end of the season we'll decide how we look back on this injury but I'm already getting flashbacks to sort of Tim Closer getting injured against against Crystal Palace and other similar scenarios where injuries to key players have have really caused problems for Norwich and um, yeah I think you you look at how they've done things this season as you said a lot of reliance on individual moments and although the performances have been 
getting better, there still is a lot of of that where goals are coming not necessarily from repeating the behaviours that have been common throughout the games, but through individual fantastic you know ability like John Rowe has. So uh, yeah, I think he'll be an enormous miss. Christian Fastnacht's performance sadly probably underlined that. I think Ono Hernandez might be able to provide some smoke and mirrors and a little bit of excitement at times, but he definitely hasn't been producing in the box what, what Rowe has. So it doesn't really seem to be a direct replacement for that. And in that sense, you're asking Borja Sainz to pretty much double his contribution at the top end of the pitch if Norwich are to continue to have that sort of level of consistent production from from their attackers. So, um, yeah, I think that could be a, a really significant blow. I don't want to doom Norwich's season this early on because of it, but it feels like one of those where if if it does go the wrong way, maybe he misses a couple of months, which seems fairly plausible from a sort of hamstring injury point of view, then it could be one that we're looking back as a, a real significant blow in that race for the top six. Yeah, was it... Uh, I might have to Google this. Was it a hamstring that he did last season that kept him out for a while? There was there was obviously... There was the first issue, but the second issue I'm talking about, that was, that was I think... Wasn't that was ankle? ankle? I think he rolled his ankle, didn't was he, it? In, uh, in Tampa. Yeah. On the uh on the on the molehills and whatever else was on that <laughs> yeah. was going on. Yeah. Um Paddy, we, we heard from 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 Ben Napper this week. I mean it was uh, something that's been long anticipated. Um I, I did a me and Adam did a big kind of reaction to it um on our YouTube channel that people can go and watch and I think probably listen to in, in audio form as well. What 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 did you make of it? Because you know, as I said throughout that, there was probably a feeling of me that was maybe slightly underwhelmed. We didn't hear more for the future, but maybe there's there's mitigation in that in terms of obviously David Wagner and this season and all of those kind of elements. What what did you make of that kind of first touch point with with, with him? Well, I mean, first on on the record, as it were. I mean, we obviously all sat down with him very soon after he he took over and uh, had a nice lunch at Colney. And um, every touch point I've had with him, if I'm honest. I, I find him quite an impressive character. He's he's very different in terms of his persona uh, to his predecessor, and and that was graphically evident in terms of the the interview and the style of it and the tone of it and what he said and um, the delivery of it. You know, very different. And uh, I think any Norwich fan who thinks it's going to be you know guns and bazookas and what have you in his sound bites, uh, he might want to uh, disabuse themselves of that notion. It's going to be far more. Um, you know, measured and uh, understated. And that's just him as a personality, I think. But putting, you know, delivery aside and, uh, you know, what he has to say, I think, is uh, going to be quite, you know, exciting because he he was very adamant. There is going to be a turnover to the squad this summer. Um, The factor about the point about David Wagner, well, Nobody can say for definite in the here and now that David Wagner is going to be in charge of that turnover in terms of the footballing dimension uh, in uh, front of house in the dugout. So that, I think, would would limit what he could say in terms of the big picture stuff um, because the head coach is, is an intrinsic part of that. We saw the the alignment and the, uh, the, the rocket fuel that was Farker and Weber in 2017, 18, 19, 20, 21. So, you know, that's why I, I, it doesn't surprise what, what else could he say about it? David Wagner is now tasked with getting this group of players 
in this season in the top six. And anything beyond 16 games or 15 now is for the summer to discuss, really. So what 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 can he really map out mid to longer term? It's in the here and now. But that said, you know, made it quite clear there'd been no discussions with any of those out of contract players come the summer, the senior players. I think you can take that as a very clear signal that they probably won't be part of the journey. We we know that he was very proactive and very keen to get more younger players out on loan this month, supplementing the ones already out there. We've seen Abu Kamara again this weekend, eye-catching assist for Portsmouth in League One. Um, they will come back in because he reaffirmed in that round of interviews midweek about the, the lowering the profile. The academy is front and centre, which I'm sure will will assuage a lot of fans who maybe looking at the evidence of this season, uh, feel that that has got railroaded off the back of last summer's recruitment and how it ticked more towards experience. For me, if I'm an Orange fan, I'm hearing that. I'm I'm hearing that, right, it's going to go back to how it was in that little golden period of Aaron's and Lewis. And, of course, you need the raw material. But but there is a guy now at the figurehead who, who actively wants to encourage it. And we saw didn't really maybe grab the same headlines as either to Celtic and Van Hoy donkey in the door, but Elliot Miles, a highly rated young attacking player, as soon as he turned 17 in uh, last month, pro deal was signed and, um, you know, the advances of potentially other suitors were rebuffed. So we know the Abo situation. He's inherited that, unfortunately, and that probably won't end as, as he would have liked it because I'm sure there's absolutely no doubt he would view him as a as a player he'd want to keep in the building. Um, so, you know, I've... I it just reaffirmed what we heard from him in a in a more relaxed setting previously, what he said at the AGM, that given time, and that's the absolute critical mass to this. He needs multiple windows. He needs multiple seasons. It's not going to come instantly. It didn't come instantly for Farker and Weber. There was that unyieldingly miserable season of 17-18 where they finished below Ipswich and they were lower half of the table and um, you know they looked so far off it um, and it came together in the second season. It might not even be as soon as this, this time around. But um, there's absolutely no doubt with his background, with with that period of time he spent at Arsenal, as he said, working with the best, following the best, you know, head coaches, sporting directors, technical staff, you know, the grounding that he's had. He's clearly a very intelligent uh, individual, very astute, very sharp. Uh, he's part of that new wave, which puts metrics and data front and centre in... in, 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 in absolutely guides every decision you make, whether it's on a recruitment basis uh, or it's data and analysis around games and improving performance in a, in a game to game setting, you know, he, he will put that front and center, but this, this isn't a quick turnaround irrespective of how this season finishes. Now, this is going to take time. And that's why for me, that first external touch point was massive because through us, through our platforms, local media, when I say us, is communicating with the fan base. Yes, you won't have got all the answers to all the questions you wanted. You were never going to get that. But the door is now open. There is a channel of communication. We we would obviously hope that that continues the summer and beyond. And he's now messaging out directly to the fan base. This is what it looks like. This is what I want to bring in and come with us on the journey. And I think it's... Um, with him at the helm and with hopefully, you know, the, the clarity that will come with the Atanasio group, uh, which we're still waiting for in terms of above him, that the, the plates are starting to shift. And, uh, you know, it's 
it may be bumpy from here. It, it may it may need a leap of faith from a lot of Norwich fans to, to go on the journey because of what's happened in the last two or three seasons. But there's, there's no doubt this guy, I think, is a, a very sharp operator. And given the time, given the backing from above and with fan base, um, I think he he could put Norwich on a far more positive trajectory to where they've been in the last two or three seasons. Sam, your, your thoughts on the, the Napper interview? Um, yeah, I think he was in a difficult position. Uh, sort of Paddy, Paddy outlined it there, really, in terms of Wagner and the fact that I know a lot of people would have still, even though they were on a, a good run of results when we spoke to Napa and obviously continue to be, a lot of people would have liked to hear him come out and say, yep, yeah, Wagner's not the man. But uh, you're never going to get that from your, your sporting director, obviously. I think I, I've understood the desire for mapping out the future from, from fans, but equally there's so many moving parts that Napa still wants to perform for the rest of the season that there wasn't there weren't loads of places he could go. Um I find myself every time I sort of every time I meet Napa, who, as Paddy says, is is quite an impressive individual, speaks very well, clearly is is very very intelligent and understands what he's talking about both on and off camera. Um, I find that when I meet him, I always think him and Weber, if you took the best qualities of both, probably would have made the perfect sporting director in terms of Weber's directness and his his leadership and the unquestionable desires that he had to, to move the club forward. And I understand that maybe a lot of people have become used to that style of delivery and people want more robust claims coming from the sporting director in, in these sorts of interviews. But... As I said, at the moment, it's a, a very difficult situation for Norwich. They've put themselves in this cycle where they're thinking very short term. They're still aiming for promotion every single season and they don't have that buffer that Weber had when he first came into the club to basically say it's a long-term project um, and in maybe not ex- not exactly these words, you know, you can write off my first season at the club because we're, we're building towards the future. Napa is in a a bit of a nether zone at the moment where he has to to balance the right now and the, the sort of long-term plan with, with fans. So I, I felt he was in a difficult situation. I still felt he could have maybe mapped out the future slightly better and a bit and been a little bit more specific with the way that they're going to achieve their, their goals. But uh, yeah, for the, for the situation he was in, I thought it was, it was fairly decent and, and fairly revealing. Okay. Paddy, um, as this week as well uh, might not be this week we'll, we'll see how it pays out but but season tickets and and all of that stuff I think this is quite late in the day compared to other years I think it's been the first and the eighth um in the, in the last couple of years we're now sat here on the 11th there's kind of no information on that I think we're, we're probably expecting that that soon um what what would you what would you expect from that I asked you with maybe half an idea that we we potentially know what's what's going to come in the in the next fortnight or whenever it drops or so. Do, in terms of what uh, the finances around season tickets or uplifts, up to you, up to you. Yeah, I think we'll probably leave that one, Connor, for now. It's probably for the beholden on the club to map out uh, where they're going with the season ticket strategy, and then it's, it's beholden on fans. I've spoken to a, you know I, we work with a lot of season ticket holders. And um, uh, hypothetically, I said to them, you know, if there were increases, you know, where where would you stand on that? And 
I don't recall one of them saying, "Oh, that would that would that would be a deal breaker now," and uh, that would be me uncoupling myself in a financial sense from from my football club because it is their football club. But they're they're still even in the bad times. Uh, the waters or the blood runs green and yellow, and it's it's very hard to to sort of you know make a maybe a hard headed financial pragmatic decision, which you know in this current climate is increasingly hard to do um, with all the other demands. Um, for money, so yeah, let's see. But um, they'll obviously have done their analysis as a club and uh, worked out the costings of it all. And you know, they they will be making decisions on what they feel is in the right areas in terms of setting new season ticket prices. But uh, you know, it it feels to me that you know, come rain or shine, there is a there is a constituency of Norwich fans which is north of. 21,000 season ticket holders who will renew. So year in, year out, League One, Championship, Premier League, and um, I would expect that to continue. So, you know, but by the same token, uh, and I'm not suggesting this for one moment, you know, that anybody inside that football club would take that loyalty for granted and and just feel that they can, you know, roll anything out in, not in broadly more broadly in the season ticket areas but and then the fans will suck it up and 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 just um, you know nod along and go with it i think there's probably a realization now um inside that club that uh, you know they're in a a bit of a crossroads phase now and, and that relationship with their fan base is ever more important because if if you're going to be out of the premier league for a period of time then the financial imperative to get back there and uh, maximise your revenue streams outside of the, the, the Premier League riches uh, become ever more important. So um, that that sense, if you're a fan, that you're being listened to and heard and that uh, your views are important to that club are, are ever more important because you can guarantee that to the football club, their money is ever more important because they don't have the Premier League tap turned on. I would uh, I would just say this, which is I think it's very important at this stage that uh, two things are considered. The fact that economic times are very difficult at the moment, very difficult for a lot of people, and season tickets are, uh, watching Norwich City at the moment, is the most expensive season ticket in, in the Championship and more expensive than than I think four Premier League teams at the moment. So I think that needs to be be, be noted and, and considered. Uh, and also, as well, I think that the reality of of of, of where they where they sit currently and um all of that aspect and what you said there in terms of the dynamic and the mood around the place and the optics i think that um any price rise would would maybe bring and i hope that if they do opt to go in that direction and i think it's (laughs) probably fairly likely they will that there is also a um an honesty and an upfrontness about why they've had to do that and their reasoning for doing that as well and maybe how we can work to a position where those rises maybe are turned in in the future to maybe throw freezes again we had a long period with a freeze but also maybe a decrease as well that would be that would be pretty refreshing to see given the 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 space that they had and also I think from a supporter's perspective I mean you've mapped it out there I know there's been a lot of uh, noise and huffing and puffing about about season tickets Uh, if you're watching if you're listening I'd, I'd love to know really as we sit here I think probably days weeks maybe from from an announcement about season ticket renewals where where fans are at and if they're both positive and negative um uh, on that fence why they sit there and maybe what it would take to kind of shift them that would be interesting to kind of know as well ahead of this and um yeah i just i just hope that they 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 communicate it right 
I think, um, in, in terms of whatever they do. Sam, final word to you then. It's a, a big week for, for Norwich City. Um, Watford, who I think are seven unbeaten away from home, which is um, quite a daunting prospect. Very, very good on the road, actually. Uh, I think they were fifth in that table I, I put up earlier. They've beaten Norwich in, in eight of the last nine games. It was a very difficult one um, when the teams faced off in November, December, November. Um, and Norwich lost that game. Feels like a big week, doesn't it, for, for them, as, as every week will do from here, really. But uh, an opportunity, I guess, to properly decide how this draw against QPR gets reflected. Yeah, I think, again, it's it's direct rivals, really, where they were maybe punching up a little bit with Coventry and Hull and West Brom and trying to draw those teams in a little bit closer and get closer to the top six. This week, they have the opportunity to actually separate themselves from the sort of mid-table pack and they wasted the opportunity to do that really against QPR and that pack probably started to catch up with Norwich a little bit with, with some of their results at the weekend but if they can beat Watford and they can beat Cardiff then that'll be increasing the gap over two teams that are, that are in and around them at the moment so although they are probably quite difficult games in prospect and going to be quite close games most likely I think Wagner will be keen to view it as an opportunity for his players and and try and look at things positively um, I don't think there are going to be too many people that are very happy if they don't manage to get a win as you said the the QPR result frames it in a, a very different way and there is a pressure on them to do it again that maybe there hasn't been against teams that are, are doing fairly well this season at times. So, um, yeah, the QPR result definitely changes the, the dynamic, but an opportunity for them to, to go and really cement their place, not necessarily in the top six, but above some of those, those teams that are trying to climb back into the race as Norwich were a few games ago. Let's end the podcast then, as we like to do with two games. How many points are Norwich City going to get? Mr Paddy Davitt, how many points are they going to get? I think, I, I think we probably agree that a minimum of four would probably be a good return from the next two. How many are they going to get, Pad? Four. Sam? Yeah, I think four. Connor? Three, I'm going to go with, I think. Three? Three. Yeah, I think they'll I think they'll trip up somewhere, but we'll see. Let's uh, let's let's hope you guys are, are on the right side of it. Thank you very much for listening to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. We'll be at Carrow Road for both of those games this week, and hopefully we're recording next Saturday with uh, a large smile on our face and talking about uh, Norwich City in a very positive sense, as been as has been the case over the last few weeks. Enjoy your week, and we will see you next week. See you soon. <laughs>